Hey, welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is the host and the founder of Flow State. And my name is Jared Taylor. I'm coming at you from a beautiful sunny day in uh, Mount Coulomb in uh, Australia. I live in a treehouse that's uh, on the foot of Mount Coulomb, which is a sacred mountain that uh, really rises from this flat area that connects the ocean uh, to the land. It's a beautiful spot. I love where I live. So today, um, I'm interviewing a very interesting lady by the name of Kara Bradley. Kara and I are kindred spirits in the sense that we are both uh, complete flow geeks um, and we work in similar spaces. We both um, are walking uh, this sort of middle path between uh, spiritual exploration and the, the science of flow states and teaching people how to put this uh, into practice in, in, uh, in modern life so that we can live our most fulfilling, powerful, beautiful existences. Um, so Kara is based in the US. Um, she's an author. Uh, she's a coach. She goes into companies and um, helps them learn about flow. She's a mindfulness teacher. She's a yoga teacher. Um, she's an awesome human being. She's an ex-elite athlete. Um, and today on this conversation, we talk, we go deep into flow. This is uh, for all you flow geeks out there, for you flow junkies, you're going to love this one. But we're getting deep in there. Um, but we're also busting a few of the myths um, and a few of the misperceptions about flow and really uh, offering a what I view as a more enlightened, uh, a more holistic, a more integrative, uh, generally speaking, a better perspective of flow and what this means in your life as someone who's looking to live your most beautiful life. So if you want to learn a little bit about living at the threshold, dancing with life, what presence really means, um, what it is to exist in a coherent state and to have the stabilizing practices that help us thrive in a volatile and complex and uncertain world, then listen in to this show with Kara Bradley. If you want a quick uh, formula to get in flow, then go to flowstate.co forward slash get in flow and you're going to get the flow formula there. Otherwise, just please drop into this flow dialogue between Jerry Taylor, me, and Kara Bradley. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Welcome to the show, Kara. So great to be here. I'm so thrilled. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So just to give the viewer, the listener, some context here, in, in my consciousness, when I think about uh, Cara Bradley, um, I, I have, because we haven't physically met in person, but uh, the way that uh, the place that she sits in my consciousness is uh, a kindred spirit who uh, blends both an avid interest in the science of flow states, but with a very deep practice into the uh, spiritual dimension of flow. Um, and there's not many of these kindred spirits that I've met um, around the world. So last time we, we dropped into a conversation, it was just like instant resonance, instant flow. And so uh, that's the backdrop for this conversation here. We just decided we, we, it felt natural and, and uh, exciting to, to drop into a podcast today. We've got no idea what we're going to talk about. Um, but we both do, uh, we, we're both very passionate about bringing the profound um, wisdom and practices that are and sort of, I guess, fleshing out what is under the hood of flow. And, uh, and I guess that's what we're going to explore today, if that feels good for you, Cara. It always feels good. I mean, that feels, it feels so natural to talk about what's really our natural state. You know, I, I know a lot of people talk about flow as being these non-ordinary states. And, and I, I want to disagree, you know, respectfully, because I feel like our natural state is one of clarity and attentiveness and calm and, and exuberance and enthusiasm. Um, you know, it's a very natural state. It's not something we have to seek out. It's something we actually just, we just drop into. And it's not always at the top of a mountain. You know, as you and I spoke about super briefly that we're going to kind of hold for this conversation, that um, the whole human experience you know, allows for us to capture this most natural state of being called flow. You can call it flow. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. It's, it's, uh, let's, let's start there with um, exploring sort of like unpackaging 
what you talked about. So like the concept of a unified flow experience um, or a default mode of consciousness, uh, which you described as our natural state um, versus this other uh, idea of an altered state of consciousness, uh, which psychologists and neuroscientists have labeled the flow state um, in which certain things in the brain happen and all the neurochemicals and neuroelectrical frequencies change and everything like that. So how, how do you sort of conceptualize and understand uh, the differences between state and stage, perhaps? Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I actually think of it more like a spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, that we're on a, we can be on a flow spectrum and it can be triggered by flailing down a mountain, you know, on a, on two, two pieces of board, you know, or it can be, um, it can be accessed in, in deep contemplation. It can be, it can be held in, in somebody's gaze. You know, there's such a broad spectrum of tapping into our intelligence that's streaming through us constantly. You know, I, I often go back to this really simple um, bit of, of research that's been done on our, bo- on our body minds, really, in that our thinking conscious mind can, can process about 50 to 150 bits of information per second. So I'll repeat that because I often have to repeat it for myself. Okay, my mind, my my thinking mind can process 50 to 150 bits of information per second. Now you drop below the neck, so to speak, and our perceptions, our sensory awareness, our sensory systems can process 12 million bits of information per second. It's like, holy cow, are you kidding me? You know, so, so for me, anytime I'm able to drop below the level of thinking in processing, trying to process, you know, what is he saying instead of just like being still and sensing what you're saying through my whole body. I mean, to me, that's flow because we become more intelligent. Right, we become. We're able to maybe tap into those twelve million bits of information, and all of a sudden, we're intuitive, we're insightful, we're compassionate, we're connecting, we're aware. Like that, to me, is that heightened state which is available to every single human being on this planet. Mm. Beautiful, and that's. That's a very interesting point you raise about these different, like Daniel Kahneman in the book, Thinking Fast and Slow, talks about systems one or two. Um, Other neuroscientists talk about implicit system, explicit system. It can kind of be understood very simply as like conscious and subconscious. Um, I like to talk about mechanical and quantum because the the thinking mind feels so mechanical and linear. um, And the the sort of intuitive feeling intelligence that you were talking about feels quantum in the sense that there's this sort of immeasurableness about it um, and there's this sort of infinite, uh, almost like miraculous quality to it, mystical quality to it, right? Mm. Um, but let's, let, let's talk about thinking and, and, and in, in the sense that um, when we talk about like this, it can be easy to kind of like create this polarization where thinking is bad or thinking is the enemy. and um, it's obviously not, right? Um, right. So, so, so how, how do you talk to your, your clients, your peeps about, about uh, thinking uh, mm. as, a, as a powerful, constructive, useful, beneficial tool rather than a damaging thing? Mm. It's a great question. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, um, if I can, just give you a little insight and, and your listeners a little insight about what, what I've done and what I do daily because that may, may – clarify my answer a little bit. And that is, I've been moving bodies since I was 15 years old. I've been teaching some type of movement practice. And so from a very young age, I've been not only an athlete myself, but also helping people connect to their bodies. So, you know, I've learned how to language things in a way that bypasses their thinking mind. And this is just not, you know, because I'm smart, because 
you know, I, it's just because I've done it for so many years. I mean, there's something to be said for 35 years of talking, you know, you kind of figure out what not to say and what to say and what works and what doesn't. And so for moving thousands and thousands and thousands of bodies in these practices, um, I've, I've learned and I've witnessed how when we're able to not just think about what we're doing, but, but be fully in the direct experience of what we're doing, we light up as human beings. We, we become these, these alive, you know, sensory alive. Like you could see, you could see people come alive in their fingertips when they are embodied, right? And this embodied cognition, not only this, you know, mental cognition. So it's both and, right? It's, it's bringing the mind in as an informative uh, quality, but not relying on the thinking and the processing as the only path. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't know if I've ever said it that way before. So thank you for allowing that to come through. Beautiful. So this, this I, I like that the um, moving from the either or to the to the and, like so. There's multiple systems online at the same time. Yeah, that that aligns with my uh, sort of mental models for understanding uh, flow. Flow consciousness is a term that 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 I talk about sometimes with, with a couple of other people, and and I'm not actually talking about flow state, but I'm talking about this this uh, level of consciousness where you're flowing seamlessly, effortlessly, uh, without any glitches in this sort of like high fidelity flow between states, and this sort of encompasses uh, Jamie Jamie Will and Stephen Kotler's idea of the the flow cycle, so sort of flowing between these, these various stages of struggle and surrender and reloading. Um, but also uh, it encapsulates the idea that part of the human experience is pain and part of the human experience is struggle and suffering and uh, all things that we don't describe, uh, we don't connect with flow state experience, right? Um, so yeah. what, <laughs> yeah, so how, so, so, uh, this is an important topic of conversation because because I spent many years. My initial flow state um, foray was was a very very much male twenties. I'm going to chase this thing down, um, and I see this a lot out there, particularly in like the the flow hackers and the, and the biohacking community. And it's like I'm going to I'm going to like chase this state down, and I'm going to become a a superhuman. And to me, it seems a bit one dimensional and kind of like silly. Um, how do you talk about, um, the other side of the spectrum, the pain Mm. and the suffering and the challenge in, in, in this conversation about flow? Well, thank you for naming that for one thing, you know, it's being a female in this, in this kind of dude centric flow hacking world, you know, has been a challenge. Now I am the middle child, uh, the only girl between two brothers. You know, I like to say I, I grew up in an Italian family and, you know, my older brother was the, was the king and my younger brother was the prince. And I just like, I had to like, you know, keep my cool and not cry and be tough. And, you know, so I have a lot of that energy in me to, to fly down mountains. And I was a competitive figure skater and a rollerblader. So I, I came to flow through that gateway, like you're talking about. Mm. And that's been the definition for so many is to think of the, you know, the surfers and, and the hard chargers as Jamie and Steven call them. Uh, But there's other dynamics, there are other gateways in, which they also talk about, by the way. Um, But I tend as a, you know, coming in with a little bit more of the yin recognize that yes there is there is there are these qualities that we can access that we can experience when in i love what you're saying about the flow consciousness mm-hmm. instead of it being a state feels so fixed doesn't it it's like you're either in it or you're not mm-hmm. but the consciousness is truly the flow it's like we are just kind of 
dancing on these different planes of consciousness, sometimes maybe sensing from the skin level, sometimes sensing from the heart level, you know, sometimes up in the mental level, pattern solving and, and, you know, creating up there. So it's, um, you know, this is, this is a great conversation. So when, when, when it comes to the pain aspect, um, you and I spoke very briefly before we started um, about my recent experience, which which has been a complete game changer, life changer. And that is um, my dad passed away just five weeks ago. So it's very fresh. And now um, he was ill for, for a few years. And so we knew he was coming towards the end of life. And um, having been having taken a super deep dive into Tibetan Buddhism and meditation for a good 15 years, I knew this was the Super Bowl. Like when my dad was, was, was <laughs> coming towards the end of his life and, and going into hospice, I knew it was the Super Bowl for not only him, but for me. Like this is what I'd been training for. This is why I'd spent hours and hours in deep practice. And with the guidance of my teacher and through uh, the book, the Tibetan book of living and dying, I, I, I went right into practice to support my dad during this, his transition. And for days, for days, I experienced the most profound states of flow I'd ever experienced in my entire life. And this sustained, piercing, painful struggle laced and, and enveloped in the most peace, the most, the most stable, solid peace I'd ever experienced. And so, I mean, I could go on and on about this experience, and I'm sure that, that, that some of you listening have been there you know, have been right there at the edge with a loved one to recognize the, the profound beauty, the profound love, the enormousness of who we are as human beings. And, and my takeaway from it, and this is what kind of has, you know, set me on fire going forward from this experience, is how important our stabilizing practices are. Mm. is how important it is for us to practice these states so that when we're met with these edges, you know, whether it be flying down the side of a mountain or sitting at the bedside of a loved one, mm. we can stabilize consciousness. If I guess you can say that, um, we could stabilize our ability mm. to maintain awareness during these just miraculous human experiences mm, beautiful <sighs> thank you for sharing that and um yeah let's pick up on that thread because for first of all i'd just like to name that um for, for those of those list for those listening who see themselves as flow geeks or flow junkies like well, this is it right we're getting into it here like we've just we, we, we're diving in deep and, I, and i'm going to ground this uh soon um for those who potentially are this is sort of like feeling over their heads and you're, and you're feeling like, well, what's this got to do with, with me and my life? This is all going to get woven together, okay? So please just uh, stay with us. We're going to weave together um, your struggle in everyday life with uh, what Kara has just discussed about uh, facing death uh, and grief. And um, really the, what there's something that, sh that, that Kara just dropped in conversation that... Um, is actually like massive and I want to pick up on it. And it's this, I can't remember your wording, but you talked about this uh, realization of what we actually are. Okay. Now what we actually are. And, and you talked about these uh, Tibetan spiritual traditions where there is a, uh, an understanding of what we are in terms of uh, spiritual beings. Um, so I want to sort of like get, start there on the ground level. Right. Um, because what I see for, and many people listening to this will be sort of entrepreneurial, uh, go-getters, high achievers, people who are building businesses, people who are facing um, like the challenges that all of us face in the modern day world, which is kind of like not enough time, too much stuff. 
right? <laughs> and uh, let's and, and my and what I believe is is really what the, the the gold when it comes to flow is is helping me. And I think you've experienced the same thing. Um, having tools and um, vocabulary and frameworks to understand that I am more than just this thinking mind, this bundle of neuroses packaged up in this sack of skin and bones. Um, and that there is actually, when I, when, I, when I experience a flow state, whether that's surfing or peeling the potatoes or dancing or making love or sitting at the deathbed of, of a loved one, and I'm, and I'm feeling that emergence, I'm, I'm there at that veil between um, life and death, right? That what is connecting all of these things is this awakening to what we actually are as powerful, multidimensional beings with this spiritual dimension, with this unquantifiable, unnameable essence, right? And this is so powerful uh, because we've all been in a Western world, in the Western world, we've all been conditioned to believe that, in fact, we are kind of like this bundle of neuroses with this name and this LinkedIn mm. profile and our resume and our photographs and our Facebook stuff. And, and so I want to speak to that. I want, I want to like expand on that point, Cara, right? Mm. So yeah. at what stage in your life did you realize that there was, there was a dimension of, of reality that um, you, just, you just weren't aware of or, ha or hadn't explored? Mm. Yeah, so I can pinpoint it to when I was 19 years old and I was a college track runner running the 800 meters and I was an anxious athlete, mediocre, middle of the pack and I was running in my last race. I knew it was my last race. I was having foot surgery and I was hanging up the spikes and I approached my last race very differently than any other race before. I went off on my own and I took a slow warm-up jog and I started talking to myself as a 19-year-old, thinking about my career and said to myself, you know, just go out on top. Maybe you could just beat your PR this time. This would be great. And so I started to repeat to myself over and over again during that slow warm-up jog, personal best, personal best, personal best. Mm -hmm. By the time I got to the starting line, I remember everything. Firstly, I remember being uh, very calm. I remember the, the color of the track, the color of the sky, the smell of the spring air. I remember just being there. And it felt very unusual, but extraordinarily ordinary. And the gun went off and I took off in the first lap. I don't remember much. But the second lap, I remember having one conscious thought or discursive thought, you would say. And that was when I passed our top mid-distance runner. And I thought to myself, wow, she must be having a really bad day. Yeah. The, doubt, the doubt poked in, but I finished the race in third place. I felt, I felt like a gazelle. I truly did. And I had no idea what happened until I realized I had, I came in third place. Like I said, that my teammates jumped on me and I saw that I shaved seconds off my PR. So in two minutes and change, I went from mediocre to elite. And, and as excited as I was, within a few breaths, I realized, oh my God, like what just happened? Where did that come from? And I knew in that moment at 19 years old that I had accessed something extraordinary, but really, really ordinary. And that's really important to remember because this is ordinary. It's ordinary as human beings, as these magnificent beings that we are. And so I knew in that moment that if I could access that place again on demand and apply it to every area of my life, I would be happy. And I would be successful, whatever that meant. And so that began my inquiry into flow. And I didn't have the words back then. I mean, it was before Chuck sent me, I even wrote his book, you know, so we weren't talking about it, but I knew something had happened and it sent me on my quest. And so what the real 
the real take home point for me was that this is something that everyone can do. And it is really a few breaths away. Like it really is so accessible. It's like that um, quote from Rumi that um, what you are seeking is already seeking you. Mm. Like this state, this consciousness, as you said, Jero, is already seeking us. It's like, it's like waiting at bay. It's just waiting for us to just, to put the luggage down, Mm. to just sit down and put the luggage down and just know and trust Mm. that it's right here. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing. And the, the, the vision as you're talking there is of flow as this uh, river, just this beautiful river that's just constantly flowing. And we can, there's a risk of spending our lives sitting on the banks of the river, right? Mm-hmm. And, but this river is just perpetually flowing, you know? And what you're talking about here is, is like this, this invitation to, to, to jump in the river, you know, that's, that's already flowing. And uh, I think that this is kind of like a uh, almost like a countercultural perception of of, of flow, as in, in the Western mind, as flow is something that we make happen by doing X, Y, and Z, um, and by tweaking our challenge level, and by creating a feedback loop, and getting hyper focused, right? But I guess the more Taoist uh, Eastern way of understanding flow is that there's the, the the universe is constantly in flux. There's just like this. Uh, this comp- this ever infinite like flow of phenomena and energy, and we can either be in separation from that by locking into our um, a level of consciousness that wants to control things and wants to uh, get seek this thing called security and comfort and safety, or there's this sort of like surrender, which is to jump into the flow of life and to experience being taken by this thing that you're describing as natural and you're describing as it's seeking us already, right? Mm. Which is, which is a, a beautiful way to, to look at flow. So, how, so, so, so you've obviously explored it a lot through sport. Um, you've, it sounds like you went really deep with um, a couple of things there. Um, when, did, when did it cross over? Um, or was it always part of, uh, was there always like another dimension, a non-sporting dimension to your flow exploration? Mm, that's a great question. So I was a, before I was a runner, I was a competitive figure skater. And back then when, um, when we were training, we had to do something called figures, figure eights. And we were given a, our own little patch of ice. And a big scribe, it's called a scribe. It's like a really, really big compass, you know, that you use in math, except you put it on the ice and you drew this huge figure eight. And then I would spend an hour tracing that figure eight. And I'd have to hit certain edges and turn or go backwards or go forwards on an edge, because you can tell when you're, you know, when you're on a a figure skating blade, you can tell if you're on a flat or if you're on your inside or outside edge. And so, I mean, I was 12 years old and my friends hated figures. I mean, most, most kids hated figures and I loved it. Like I, I couldn't get enough of it because it was trained. I knew it was training my mind. You know, there was something about the challenge of mental, physical, the cold of the ice, the sound of the ice, you know, the, the whole experience was just so vivid for me. You know, it's something that I now call high definition, right? Mm -hmm. Living in high definition. And so for me, it's always been um, really full spectrum, mental, physical, emotional. And, you know, what I teach, Jero, when I teach people, because I recognize that not everybody has had that kind of experience, you know, not everybody is, you know, has had the, the deep dive into the instrument or to the sport. Um, But yet we all have access to this. And one of the things that I feel uh, strongly about is helping people to understand 
what it means to be present. So I'm going to pull this way back. Like you were saying before, like how does this land for, you know, the entrepreneur out there? How does this land for the busy, you know, the busy mom? How does this land for just, you know, all of us trying to kind of push through this life with so much information and so much to do and so many gadgets to play with and so much at our fingertips, you know? Well, you know, for one thing, is just to become familiar with what it feels like to actually just be present. In in all of the the mindfulness training I've done, and I teach mindfulness, and I've learned from masters, I still feel like we are teaching people to chase a carrot as opposed to actually helping them recognize what it means to be present. And the way that I point at presence is to ask people, and so I'm going to ask you all, I'm going to ask you, Jiro, what makes you feel fully alive? Mm. Like what makes you feel fully alive? What, what is it? Is it a place? You know, you can name it. A place, a person, something you're doing when you just feel like lit from within. Mm. Yeah, for me, it's dancing on the edge of uncertainty, mm. uh, not knowing what's going to happen. It's those, and I get it a lot when I'm traveling. I get it a lot in dialogue with people. Um, I get it, surfing is so profound for me because it's constantly in a, a moving playing field and you don't know that the next wave is going to be completely different from the wave before. Um, but just like novelty, complexity, uh, inspiring environments um, and uh, and yeah that that sort of like dancing on the edge of uncertainty that sort of like un, unknowing like the specter of risk and danger uh, for me puts me into high excitement mm. yeah I mean that's and and so so I would say to you that is being present you know that is when you're at the top of the mountain, when you're looking at the night sky, when you're pausing to watch a sunset, when you're staring into your child's eyes, like this is what it means to be present. And when we can start to recognize those glimpses of being alive and to become familiar with it, like to start to like get close and personal with it. It's like, yeah, I feel really good when, you know, I'm at the pub with my friends on a Friday night, we're just laughing and we're just totally spontaneous. That's presence. Like you didn't have to sit in meditation for a half an hour to go feel that. You know what I mean? Like this, the the meditation practice or these practices that, you know, have become so trendy now are just ways for us to um, to, to train the muscle, but we already have the capacity to show up and be fully alive and present in any moment. And you're, and you're already doing it. Like, and I'm, I say that to everybody, you're already present because like you said, right at the very, very beginning, Jero, you know, we're all meant to believe that we are just these neurotic, you know, brains on sticks. So we're, we're, we're believing that now. And it's like, oh gosh, I'm a brain on a stick and I, I can't calm down. So I've got to go in the corner and now go meditate and try and settle myself. It's like, we've, it's like so dualistic, you know, We're instead of it. just, yeah. I, I get yeah. it. I get it. I, I get what you're saying about uh, presence. The, the opportunity for, for presence is just always there, you know, and, and a few of my friends have, have got uh, newly arrived babies and, I, and I'm just observing in them, like this new dimension of presence. Well, it's not a new dimension of presence. It's just presence. But, uh, mm. but when, they, when they look at their baby, when they're with their baby, I, I'm just observing like, and, and I'm the same when I pick up. A baby is just like an instant presence maker. It's unbelievable. Mm. <laughs> but just like, it's, probably, it's probably like the purity of consciousness of the baby itself is like creating this thing. But it, it is an amazing thing. Um, but at the same time, there's a whole bunch of people out there who... Um, want to be present but their monkey mind is just going absolutely haywire and they've got like 50 loose ends and 17 to-do lists and the kids and 
the business is failing and like blah 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 like they sit they 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 simply cannot be present um because anytime they 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 they're in stillness and i'm sure that i'm speaking to many many people who are listening here but when you even try and do something like meditation you're basically just having a 20 minute experience of watching your neurotic thoughts and uh, to-do lists and open loops just play out in your consciousness yeah. so what what is just talk about that yeah i'm and i'm right there with you i agree with you completely i agree with you so what i would say is start to notice those short little moments throughout the day when you are. And, and so I call it being fully alive. We can call it flow. We can call it presence. We can call, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it, you know, <laughs> pasta. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. It's like start to notice those little glimpses that are happening. Maybe it's your commute. Maybe it's your drive. Maybe it's reading the paper in the morning. Maybe it's the first cup of coffee or the glass of wine at night, like those moments when you just pause for a breath, like that's a win right there. I call them mini wins. All day long, we have these mini wins, these moments of clarity, these split second moments when we just, when we're right, like right there at the edge, when we're on our feet, when we're saying the right word, when we're connecting, let's look at that. So I'm all about looking at the positive, First, from those mini wins, from those little glimpses, we start to gain confidence and momentum, right? Now we're like, okay, wow, you know, I, I, I'm starting to get when I feel present. I'm starting to get this, you know, in the morning when I take that run or when I walk my dog. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I get that. I don't feel as neurotic. It feels, feels a little bit better. Okay, that's what she's talking about. Well, then, you know, once you start to gain that confidence in yourself, because we're all present during the day, it's for split seconds here and there, when we start to trust that we can do it, then you start to say, okay, now I'd like to, I'd like to build a little muscle. I want to know how I can sustain this, maybe in my next meeting with, you know, the board. Or, you know, the next time I go play golf, I want to be able to sustain this. Well, now I've got to go to the gym, right? Because we've got to train in order to strengthen. So now sitting down for five minutes to, to notice thought, to bring yourself back to breath. Well, it may have a, a new meaning to you. So it's not something like, like, honestly, I really think like people go and meditate and listen, I'm a meditation teacher, but people feel like meditation is like being put in the little corner. Like when you were a five-year-old kid and you did something bad, it's like, you've got to go sit there and be quiet now. It's torture. It's prison for people. But if we can, if, if we can help others to understand what it feels like to be present already, notice the moments throughout the day. And you'll start to extend them. You'll start to be able to lean into them or look for them or trigger them, hmm. right? You'll start to be able to say, you know what? Before the meeting, I'm going to take five minutes in silence because I know just being quiet or listening to my binaural beats or whatever it is or doing some deep breathing, I know that helps me to feel better when I go back in. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking there, I was, I was thinking about um, a couple of things. One was uh, the concept of autotelicity, uh, which is my, my, one of my favorite parts of uh, Csikszentmihalyi's work. Um, so auto, an autotelic personality is, is someone who's developed the inner skills to uh, derive meaning and purpose from what it is that they're doing so that the doing of the thing is the reward unto itself rather than the the result of the doing so for example um, someone working on a factory line um, could derive great satisfaction from the efficiency of his body movements um, whilst he was doing something that might look to someone else as very mundane and um, and I was thinking about this as a as, as a skill as you were talking there you're, you're, you're talking about sort of like leaning into experience like engaging with experience and i was thinking about it, it's like it's like dancing with life but but being the lead 
being like playing that sort of yeah. male role or like or just being the lead dancer like and this is this this is i think is a sort of like a building on what you're talking about with presence um as being like this uh, ever present no pun intended opportunity mm. for us to engage with life but it's a it's a it's a there's sort of like an element of proactivity about it rather than passivity about it mm -hmm. right and yes. i'd like to bring this to the conversation because a lot of people uh like to say oh i'm just going to go with the flow oh yeah oh yeah i'm just i'm just i'm just a, a flower and and it's sort of like there's this like air of like um passive um sometimes avoidance or or whatever but 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 what i'm talking about here is that um true presence is actually like a, an an active state in my opinion um it's it's about like um exploring life through the lens of our consciousness and to to find ways in which we can dance with it right um how does that correlate with your perceptions of presence yeah i'm right there with you there's an aliveness that's why i like using these words this aliveness and awakeness like you said before there's a um an agency about being present you know it's why i talk about the verge a lot uh the verge being this this place where life thrives and there's actually um a place and i discovered it after my husband came back from the amazon he spent some time down there with an indigenous community and they would uh stop at these at this juncture of land where where rivers came together and it was this edge of land and they stopped and revered this place um as sacred and this place is called the verge mm. and it's at this juncture of land where the two rivers meet where animal life and wildlife thrive they're at their most diverse mm. so there is we thrive you know i use it as a metaphor i named my my business verge body mind verge body mind i wanted to create a place where people came and and were able to thrive and flourish through practice of mind and body so being on the verge i i i have been playing with this metaphor for decades until you know about 10 years ago i recognized that you know where is it where humans thrive where do we actually flourish and it is there on the verge at the edge of the moment that we're in mm. so you were talking before about living you know in that in the unknown in the dance of uncertainty mm. you know when we can gently tap dance in the moment between a moment ago and a moment from now when we can just land gently delightfully spontaneously right here like a child with bright eyes we thrive that's when we're able to access that 12 million bits of sensory information coming through us and we know when to shift right or to shift left to throw the ball behind or in front you know we just become brilliant beings mm. Mm. yes we do so let's that's that's so you talk about um it wasn't high fidelity what was your phrase for talking about this vivid, high definition high definition high, yes. yes high definition okay so this is also um a way of understanding that when we when we're at this edge this threshold this verge right there are infinite possibilities at our fingertips okay and um this is profound because when we are not at that edge or that verge we are basically faced with one or two possibilities um and we're talking about the sort of difference between being in a um thinking sort of fear based fight or flight kind of parasympathetic sympathetic nervous state where it's like we we have very binary options to actually being in a different state of consciousness where we're at this threshold we're at this edge and we're coming to it with a type of curiosity and awe that opens us up to the experience and there's there's it's we're talking about a type of fearlessness here right mm. and we the, the profound thing here is that 
we obviously all want to live a life where we've got infinite possibility, where we feel like we have agency, where we feel like there's this vividness, that there's this uh, high definition, where, there, where, there's this, where there's this amazing flow of information going on and life is just rich and fertile and beautiful and we feel powerful, right? Because that's the feeling that you're describing. If it's, a, it's a powerful feeling. It's this feeling of like, this might offend some people, but it's the feeling that I have when I remind myself that I am God. And it's this sort of like omniscience, this omnipresence, this like infinite capacity to create the future that I want to create and attract into my life the opportunities and the people and the beauty that I want in my life. And this all comes from dancing at that edge, from walking out of the, uh, the middle of the field, which represents the comfort zone, or walking to the edge of the field where it's, where, where like you're basically i love that the verge that you're talking about here you t- because in permaculture uh, there's like one of the principles of permaculture is to value the edge um and from a from a farming perspective it's like well interesting shit happens at the edge right <laughs> it's like and and this is this just the same for our life it's like this this threshold um that we're dancing at the edge of is where this infinite power um comes from so i just like to yeah mm. nail that point home yeah thank you for repeating that back it's awesome it's just it's awesome and so i i want to make sure that i that i also talk about um the stabilizing practices because yeah. it's very easy to live on the verge when you're in another country on vacation and you know eating different food and and speaking a different language or you're you know you're you're skiing or you're swimming in the ocean or you know you're doing something that's maybe different than your normal everyday life i'm very very practical you know i'm a business owner i've got employees i have teachers i you know and and I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm able to sustain for for my life, not only for play, but in my work and with my children and, you know, with my husband. I want to make sure that whatever states that I am training in, that this can be applicable and, and also to make the world better. Like there's got to be some some good here. Instead of it all just being, you know, like you were saying, you know, this this playful, omnipresent kind of sense of being. So there's got to be the stabilizing practices. Otherwise, it becomes just a bunch of hacking. Otherwise, it becomes just a bunch of experiments. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, we want to play at the edge constantly and explore the fringe but we also want to make sure that in order to be um, you know, solid human beings that are participating and contributing to the world, to helping others better themselves and um, us as a species um, better ourselves, there's got to be stabilizing practices so that it comes out not just as you know, fanfare, but actually as um, workable this workable flow consciousness that you're talking about. And I know, Jiro, that you're talking about this as well in your new direction with your business mm-hmm. um, about, you know, bringing in wisdom and compassion, mm-hmm. right? Bringing in into the workforce, into business, you know, te- mm-hmm. helping business owners, entrepreneurs, leaders understand how to lead with both of those wings of insight and compassion. Well, in order to do that, you know, we need to stabilize ourselves. So I am a huge proponent of training in coherent states, in training ourselves to be coherent or to be synchronized and stable human beings that can be more agile in this world that is, um, you know, moving so fast, Um. where there's so much to absorb, how in the world can we walk one foot forward after another clear and calm and alert and at ease mm. so that we can offer our best self to support others in, in experiencing themselves at their potential? Awesome. Thank you for bringing that to the table. So uh, stabilizing practices, um, tell us some of yours, please. 
Yes, absolutely. So, so what I do and where I started, like I said before, was moving bodies, you know, moving bodies rhythmically. When we move in rhythm, we settle our busy mind. I mean, it's that simple. When our body is calmer, our minds calm down. When our when we're stressed and anxious, our mind feels more frantic and frazzled and anxious as well. So if we can just start at the level of the nervous system, like if we could just be that simple and start to settle our nervous system from our chronically stressed state of fight or flight to a more balanced state where we're both aroused and relaxed. So you said this before, like we don't want to just be totally relaxed and like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to sit here for a couple of hours and look at the grass grow, right? You know, we're not talking about just being relaxed. We're talking about bringing in clarity and alertness and calm and and ease of being. And so if we start at the level of the nervous system and just start to balance our autonomic nervous system through breath and movement, we will start to access this sense of clarity and calm, which is really what mindfulness is, by the way. And and in is flow, is this sense of being so much more open and at ease. So the way that that I teach it, I use yoga, I use functional movement, um, just as a, a basis for rhythm and and breath. And so some people may find it running, swimming, rowing, you know, any kind of um, movement that is rhythmic in nature, dancing to a rhythm. Um, any kind of deep rhythmic movement with breath is going to help you to stabilize your state of being to a more balanced place. And now, now we're talking. Now, once we're more stable and steady, now we can see more clearly. Now we can sense more deeply. Mm. Mm. Right? So if so, just real quickly, if you go back to that run, that warm-up jog I took mm. at 19, right? I was always like such a nervous athlete and I felt like I was going to throw up. But taking that run, that jog beforehand and... And repeating to myself like a mantra, personal best, personal best, personal best. I put myself into a coherent state. You know, I did it. Like I didn't need an app, right? I just, my, I just did it. And, and it shifted me into this flow state where I was able to, you know, kick my PR, you know, like I couldn't even believe so it, we can, we all do this. Like we rock the baby, right? How do we calm the baby? We rock the mm. baby. Yeah. That's, that's a, this is wonderful. Like not a lot of people are talking about rhythmic movement. Um, certainly, uh, you know, I mean, there are, there's, there's this whole thing called flow arts. Uh, one of my friends runs beautiful festivals. Uh, she's called Cassandra Tannenbaum. And she puts on these festivals where people are playing with fire and dancing and there's all these sorts of balancing things and poi and, and that, this is a spectrum of, of awesome flow exploration. Um, personally, I've been doing a lot of drumming and playing a lot of music over the last year. It's just sort of like come as a new emergence, this like instinctive drawing towards rhythm. Um, mm. has just come on so deep. Recently, I found myself in a jungle at a music festival called Envision in Costa Rica and just like oh, feeling like I was exploring many states of consciousness and just to, to there's, there's something very primal and very, very raw about rhythm, right? Um, it's in us all. And I've been on plant medicine experiences. I'll just describe one very beautiful experience where uh, it was actually for my bachelor's party because obviously I didn't just want to go get drunk and get a stripper so I went <laughs> to some sacred land and uh, found a, a, a wise elder to serve us uh, Wachuma San Pedro and um, we went on a nature walk to these sacred caves where indigenous um, the people of, of this Australian uh, continent indigenous people for had been coming for thousands and thousands of years and this was evidenced by 
uh, shells and carvings and things like that in, inside these cliffs. And we, we climbed up into this, into this cavernous cave and there was just this presence. There was just this immediate knowing that people had sat here for like mm. geological time, right? And we were, we were stumbling around and then one of our friends just like hit this, this area of rock and all of a sudden it was just like this like bass, this deep, deep, deep bass just like reverberated across this valley. And basically he was, he found this like sandstone, like the top of this chamber. And it was just, he had, he hit this thing. It was just like, boof, boof, boof. and we just naturally, the 11, 11 of us, there are 12 of us in total. The other 11 people just found places in this cave where there were like different, different sandstone formations that created bongo sounds and rhythm sounds and, all of a sudden, we're having like this 12-person jam session in this natural like drum cavern cave thing. And it was just unbelievable. And some people there had never played drums. They, they, they didn't view themselves as musical. They, they did not, had not connected with rhythm at all ever in their life, right? And, and, and it was just, we were just synchronizing to, to, to this beat, right? The, the, the main drum was doing the main beat. And all of us were just sort of like finding our own rhythm to create a unified, a collective flow experience. And it changed people. There's one of my, my, my best man, Steve, a best friend. He, he, that was the first time that he had connected with this rhythmic like power. And it's almost like, it's almost like a human being connecting with their masculinity or their femininity for the first time ever. It's that raw. It's that, it's that below conditioning, right? And, it, and he went out uh, in you know, normal reality and he, and he went and bought himself a drum and, and we all play drums now. You know? That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I love that. It's a great story. God, talk about spontaneity, you know, and just allowing intelligence to just, to just move the group. That's amazing. Yeah. But, you know, kind of unattainable for, you know, most people listening is like, oh, I got to go find a cave now. <laughs> well, yeah, well, as you said, the rhythm's just always there, right? Rocking the baby. Yeah. I, love, I love that when you said that. Like, yeah. you know, tapping your foot. Like, like I, I, I love observing people when I'm driving in traffic and, you know, you see the, the people who are just singing their heart out to, to mm. the music like nobody's, like nobody's watching. Like, yeah, I love they're ha- it. They're having a flow experience. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's so at our fingertips. Mm. And it's why I teach. Mm. You know, it, it really is why I teach because it's hidden in plain sight yeah. for all of us. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just so, you know, every day I wake up and I just say, you know, I just, you know, may I just be able to whisper in somebody's ear, you know, mm. how easy it is. It's, it's a couple of coherent breaths away. So coherent breathing. And I know you had um, Dan Brule on, you know, great master, you know, breathing master. I mean, breath. I mean, it can't get any more simple than five deep rhythmic breaths to shift our state. You know, it is truly that simple. And, you know, what I, what I want to whisper as a disruptor, because I kind of, um, I'm, I'm like a disruptor. I'm a meditation teacher, but I'm saying, listen, meditation is like a prison. So, so settle your nervous system first, then go, mm. you know, you know, take a walk and then sit to practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so what I want to, you know, just say to people is like, it's right here. It is so right in front of your nose. It's, it's five breaths. It's, it's a minute in silence. It's a walk around the block. It's a pause under the sky, you know, it's a minute to watch the sunset. It's, it's, you know, sitting to drink the tea without looking at the iPad. You know, it's like it, these moments are calling, like Rumi said, right? It's always seeking us. Like aliveness is always beckoning us mm-hmm. to just meet, to meet it. Mm. it. It'll walk right up to our face. You know, it's like calling us all the time. I'm right here. I'm right here. Mm. Even in the challenge, even in the pain, even, you know, in the most excruciating moments 
of my life, you know, watching my father take his last breath, mm. it was like so profoundly right there waiting. And if we could just learn to put our luggage down more and to just trust ourselves more um, and to practice trusting ourselves more so that that muscle gets stronger, you know, I, and I, and I do believe that's, you know, that is where the shift, the big, just like being in that cave, it's like, boom, this is it. Mm, beautiful. Drink your tea as though it is the axis upon which the universe spins. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful poem by Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, mm. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for diving into presence um, and for, for helping us uh, unpackage that. Um, it really is the gateway to all that we seek. Everything <laughs> comes through this doorway of, of, of presence. And when we, when we start developing flow mastery or we, or we start uh, developing these, these practices, these stabilizing practices as you describe them, I love the analogy of the stabilizing practices because we can all of a sudden understand like equilibrium and balance and harmony um, by understanding that what stabilizers do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they allow us to keep stay in that state. But um, yeah, it's, it's this is you, you are disruptive because you're you're helping people understand that the, the the power, the performance, the potential, the peak states, the whatever it is that that we all want comes through this very grounded concept, right? Like the roots of a tree is what determines like the the splendor of the fruit that grows on it. And it's the quality of our presence that determines the, uh, our power and potential. So thank you so much for, for diving into that and helping us understand more about how to achieve presence, Clara. Well, thank you for, for the opportunity to, to just allow to, to allow it to come through. I so appreciate your curiosity is, is beautiful, really, your curiosity for, um, for this and your willingness to share it with others. So thank you for helping so many out there as well. Mm, awesome, awesome. All right, well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. We could literally talk for days and days and days, <laughs> and one, one, day, one day we will. Um, but there's... there's so infinite amount of infinite tangents and threads that, that, that we could leap into here. Um, perhaps uh, another conversation one day. I really do want to explore into the, explore uh, the concept of death. Um, I, I want to, uh, the, I'll just leave this thread for people who are listening here. But uh, as Kyra explains, she's been through this um, amazing transformational experience of being with her father during his last days. And Kara has also explained that she's been very much informed by ancient Tibetan traditions and there's a, a book called The Tibetan Book of the Dead, which uh, basically uh, gives instructions and uh, context in terms of ways of coping, dealing with, welcoming uh, death as, as, a, as an integral part of life um, in a way that helps us actually live differently, right? Mm. Um, so these are all things for another time, Clara, of just seeding, <laughs> seeding, uh, manifesting a future conversation. Um, I love it. I can't wait. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Before you go, just tell us where we can um, find more of the goodness um, about The Verge and about the work that you do. Yes, excellent. So my website is carabradley.net, and that's Kara with a C. And on there, you'll have information about my book, which is called On the Verge, Wake Up, Show Up, and Shine. And uh, I also have a podcast. It's a weekly. It's just a short form with me talking about different subjects. And then, and then a lot of the other stuff that I'm doing, places I'm teaching and retreats and whatnot. I'd uh, love, to, love to hear from you. Cool. And who do you love working with? Like, What sort of like, human being do you, brings you to your highest excitement? Well, right now, I think I have to say Jamie Wheel from the Flow Genome Project. Uh I've been uh, both studying, working with, collaborating, enjoying uh, this this, um, delightful path that they're on, Stephen Cutler and Jamie Wheel. And I find that they're really embracing that full full flow spectrum like we Mm -hmm. talked about. 
and uh, moving past just this idea that it's for extreme athletes uh-huh. into um, the idea that this is available for all of us. Mm, beautiful. Awesome, Kara. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been, it's been an, absolute, uh, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Kara. It was a very flowing conversation. I love how we talked about rhythm. I haven't spoken about rhythm for a long time. Um, rhythm as a gateway to flow states is, is so powerful. All musicians know this. If you've ever um, found yourself just like deep into the rhythm, enjoying live music or, uh, or playing music, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You drop into this non-thinking state of absorption and immersion, and that, my friends, is flow. How can we turn all of our life into a rhythmic experience of flow? That's the exploration I'm uh, intent on exploring. Um, maybe you are too. If you are, make sure you go to our website, um, get our flow formula. It gives you a four-step process to drop into flow on demand. This formula is based on indigenous wisdom, the medicine wheel. It's based on the uh, psychology work of Carl Jung. Um, and it's based upon the four seasons and my exploration of meditation and breath work. And I put this into a four-part formula that you can take into any situation, whether it's a sporting situation, whether it's a startup business, a boardroom meeting situation, but you can basically use this four-step formula to go from distraction, overwhelm, anxiety, worry, fear, into flow, into peace, into deep presence, into high-performing states of immersion and rhythm. So to get that, you go to flowstate.co forward slash get in flow and you'll get sent um, this uh, 15 page pdf which will give you the skinny on getting in flow on demand that's it for now hope you enjoyed that show with kyra bradley who got plenty more interviews with flow masters and entrepreneurs and people who are dancing at the edge of uncertainty to explore what our highest potential really is please stick around for the ride sending you infinite love oodles of flow and joy and all the good stuff take care bye bye Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.